passage of Scripture, uh, Hebrews 11, 6. The Bible says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. We can just stop right there for a second. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It's not that we might be able to please Him with a little bit of faith. God's saying our pleasing Him is dependent on this thing called faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. That means that those that do not have faith in Him cannot please God. Right? All right. Then as a Christian, as a believer, you have faith enough to believe, but that does not mean that our faith has grown. The Bible says as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Uh, we've got a, another grandbaby that was born three weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And so, uh, you know what? When that baby is hungry, everybody knows. And what is it? There is a desire for that milk. That same thing as a believer, we are to have that desire for the Word of God so we can grow. And if we, don't, if we are not getting that, we are not growing our faith is not growing. And so here, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so we're going to look at several verses this morning. And I want you to uh, hold your place here. Uh, but now jump back uh, to, to Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1. We'll start a little bit slow and uh, lay a foundation here, and then we'll, we'll get rolling. Uh, Genesis chapter number 1 and verse number 1. When we get into the Word of God, we see that God doesn't give us an explanation about His existence. He just tells us that He is. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Uh, no explanation. God doesn't owe us an explanation. The arrogance of man to challenge God who created this world. And they may not believe in God, but that does not change the God, does not change the existence of God. And so in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And so we see at the beginning, we see God. Now, Flip back to Revelation chapter 22, Revelations chapter 22, and we're going to find at the end of the Word of God, verse number 20 and 21, Revelation 22, verse 20 and 21, Revelation 22, 20 and 21. Good to hear those Bibles turning. Uh, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, he which testify of these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Now, uh, what, uh, what color is that in your Bible? Do you have a red letter edition? All right. Surely I come quickly. All right. That is in red. That's the Lord speaking. Uh, he was testify of these things, saith, Surely I come quickly. 
Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We have, we have God at the beginning of the Word of God. We have God at the ending of the Word of God. And, and with that, uh, God, God's existence. And for the believer, we've got to make sure that we are focusing our life uh, properly. Uh, go to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, and we'll give you a little bit of time. It's up on the screen there, but Psalm 19, and we'll look at verse number one. I love this verse. Uh, I love the, uh, the reality of it, and we get to enjoy this all the time, uh, especially right now with all the leaves changing. Uh, it's just beautiful. Uh, the Bible says in, in uh, Psalm 19, 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. We've got an amazing God. He is amazing. And through scripture, we get to just get a glimpse of some things about God. So now go back to Hebrews 11. I know you still have your spot there. You haven't lost it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And so Hebrews 11. And we're going to look at verse number 3. Hebrews 11 and verse 3. The Bible says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And what God's saying here is that when we look around at the world that we are seeing, uh, the world did not make this world. The things which are seen uh, were not made of things which do appear. Uh, God... There, Evolution is not, uh, it is a theory, and not only is it a theory, it's a bad theory. Uh, things do not tend to get better. Things always tend to uh, degrade. Uh, science tells us that. Uh, the uh, second law of thermodynamics teaches that everything tends uh, to degradation. Uh, and so this world did not uh, just appear. There were, it didn't just happen by the things that were here. And we have a God who spoke and brought the worlds into existence. Uh, and you know what? As a believer, you shouldn't have any problem with that. You shouldn't have any problem with that. Uh, because God, uh, He is the one that our faith is dependent upon. You say, well, I can't explain it. Neither can I. But the real reality is, neither can those scientists. It's still a theory. Why? Because they can't prove it but they're teaching it as though it is real, and it is not. And so, so going now to Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please him. So this faith, this faith is something that has to be paramount in the life of the believer. Our faith, this is, this is what we have got to make sure that we have. We have faith. And this faith needs to be powerful. Uh, faith, uh, what, a, what a word it is. It represents so many things to so many people, though. Because there's a lot, there are a lot of people that have faith that's misplaced. 
you know everybody has faith? You know the scientists and the teachers that push the evolution? Their science, falsely so-called, is their faith. People that choose to put their faith in a false god, they can be sincere, they can be nice, they can be a great person. Everybody has faith. But for the believer, our faith has to be strong. Our faith has to be growing. You see, faith, it represents many things to many people, but to believers, this is not just a word. It represents who you are. It should represent who you are. It represents what you believe. Now, some of us, we're not strong on our belief system. And we've got to grow in our faith. We've got to know what we believe. We've got to know why we believe it. Amen? All right. You, is it still warm? Is it starting to cool down a little bit? All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. Uh, I could see everybody was getting ready to go to sleep earlier. The heat was just raising. And I'm like, what is going on? We have air conditioning. Uh, and so uh, anyway, uh, but uh, faith, it represents who you are, what you believe, and what you trust. Faith is used in the scripture as a subject. It's also used as an object. Faith is used as a noun, but faith is also used as a verb. But as we look at this thing called faith, the belief, the trust, the confidence, who is at the center of your faith? Who is at the center of your faith? God or man? A God-centered faith or a man-centered faith? And let's be honest. There are people here this morning that are in both classifications. Just because we believe in God does not mean that God is the center of our faith system. The Bible tells us the devils believe and tremble. Thou believest in God, thou doest well. The devils believe and tremble. Just a belief in God's existence isn't enough. It's not enough. And so... God or man, a God-centered or a man-centered faith. A God-centered faith or a me-centered faith. Let that sink in a second. A me-centered faith. This morning I want to preach to you on the subject, a God-centered faith. And we're going to look at this this morning in a God-centered faith. And tonight, we're going to be looking at a me-centered faith. 
And the reality is, we can bounce between the two. I wish I could say I'm always where I need to be. I wish I could say my faith is always way up here. But our faith does this, doesn't it? Our trust does this. Now, what we want to do is we want to raise our valleys. And when I first got saved, my faith was very low, very small. And so my valleys were, were very low. You grow in your faith, and what happens is your faith, your valleys become higher. And your, your faith, your valleys in your faith is higher than the mountaintops and maybe somebody else's faith. But our faith is not always as solid as we would want it to be. So a God-centered faith. Father, I pray that you'd bless now these next few moments. Help us, Lord, today to understand and Lord, to just uh, be honest with ourselves, And Lord, may you work in each and every person that's here. Help all of us, those that are in person, those that are online. Help all of us to grow this morning, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So if we were to sit down and have a conversation just individually, I, I know that uh, those of you that I know, I, I believe that your response, if I were to ask you, if you have a God-centered faith or a man-centered faith, I believe all of us would say, well, I have a God-centered faith. But as we would begin to delve into our lives, into our thought processes, every one of our actions are a result of our thought process. You know, just because you're a Christian does not mean that you at Christian. It doesn't mean that you follow the Christian principles. And so we start looking through and we start to delve into lives. Uh, maybe uh, we look at our thoughts, we look at our attitudes, we look at our belief, and we might be surprised what manifests itself when we try to figure out where we're at in this God-centered faith or a me-centered faith. There are many religious people in this world. And religion has a negative connotation to the Christian. You know, why is that? It's because we don't have a system of rules and regulations and traditions. Uh, we have a relationship. And the relationship with Christ is what sets us aside from the religion, uh, the systems of religion in the world. Uh, and so Christianity is not a, uh, uh, a religion. It is a relationship. Paul used the term religion, and it was referring to the Judaizers. It was referring to those that did not embrace Christ uh, in their uh, faith, and it was used towards uh, false religion. And so, uh, first of all, I want you to see a God-centered faith uh, focuses on God. A God-centered faith focuses on God. Who is God? Who is God? A God-centered faith is going to focus on that. You know, if somebody walks up and asks you a question, who is God? 
we should be able to give an answer. Because if my faith is going to be God-centered, I better know who God is. I've got to have some understanding. Now, we all understand God is greater than what we can even begin to fathom and understand. Uh, But who is God? Uh, If I was to explain God to somebody, what would that look like? Uh, What does God like? What does God dislike? What would God prefer? If I'm going to have a God-centered faith, that means that I am living my life according to what God uh, views in, in this world, what he esteems as right or wrong, what he says uh, we should do or should not do, uh, how we should live. Every relationship in life then would be viewed through this filter uh, of who God is. So my understanding of God then is going to impact how I live my life. And so a God-centered faith then is learning uh, and understanding who God is, the attributes of God. The attributes of God are not just things that we can flip off and say, and I know these things about God. These are for us to understand so I can know the God uh, who I am serving so my faith, my trust, my confidence, uh, how I am going to live this life that he has given to me is going to be in accordance to what he would want me to do, his will, his purpose for my life. You know what? There is nothing more uh, fulfilling than being in God's will for your life. Nothing more fulfilling. It doesn't mean that you have no problems. It doesn't mean that there are not burdens and and heartaches. But being in the middle of the will of God, uh, when you know that you are in God's will, there is a peace that is there. There's an absence of peace when we are not in God's will. When we know that there's something between my soul and the Savior, all of a sudden there's an unrest. That's not where we want to stay. We want that relationship with the Lord uh, to be close. So the attributes of God should reveal to us who God is. A God-centered faith is learning and understanding who God is, uh, the character of God, uh, and his character should impact what we think about life. You know, the believer who has a God-centered faith is going to be a believer that does not live according to the, the principles of this world. We have a different view. There is a different measuring stick. There is a different economy. There's a different value system. Why? Because of our faith. And our faith should impact every area of our life. So God's identity, the personage of God, the Godhead. Uh, So we see uh, that a a God-centered faith focuses on God. Uh, Secondly, we see a man-centered faith Faith focuses on me. A man-centered faith 
focuses on me. Now, it did not take very long in the Word of God for us to see that man went to self very quickly. I mean, God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1, but we get into Genesis chapter 3 and everything goes sideways. So let's go there. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter 3. Oh my goodness, I'm looking at the clock. This is going to be more than a uh, two-part message. All right, so Genesis chapter 3, look at verse number 2. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. What do we find here? We find the very first family, ye shall be as gods. You can make your decisions for yourself. And let me tell you, there's a whole lot of Christians that have that same attitude. Nobody's telling me what to do. You know what? As a pastor, I'm not telling anybody what to do. I just preach what God says. If you don't like it, take it up with Him. I didn't write the book. I'm just, I'm just teaching it. But the reality is there are a lot of people that want to live their life as though nobody can tell me what to do. And the reality is, as a Christian, our focus should be, no, there is a God in heaven. And my life is going to be governed by him. Because one day, uh, he has been so good to me that he forgave every sin that I have ever committed. Every sin that I will commit. Uh, he has promised a place called heaven for me. And when I die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I am a child of God because I accepted him as my Savior. And since he has been so good to me, and because he loves me, I want to please him. You know, it's not a battle when your desire is to do what he wants me to do. And for the Christian, a God-centered faith is going to focus uh, on God. Uh, but when we start living according to me, we start disregarding Scripture. Mr. Miss Deanna and I were talking about this before service uh, just a few moments ago. And, and with that in life, uh, it's amazing how many people uh, will leave the faith. People that know the faith. People that know truth, know the Bible. But they go sideways. What happens? They got me involved. And we start justifying our actions. We start determining what is good and bad. God already told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree. That should have settled it. It would have fixed it for all of us. 
we just want to blame it on Adam and Eve, but if they didn't take it, somebody else would have. And if they didn't, I probably would have. If it got all the way down. Uh, the reality is we do. We, we live so often according to what we want. And we start justifying things in our life. And so uh, we see this first family, Adam and Eve, and they make a terrible decision and they sin against Almighty God. But now, all of a sudden, what happens? We see it happening again with their sons. Their family, their offspring. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respects unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall his desire, be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. What do we find here? We find that it was time for a sacrifice to be brought. And uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a, uh, was a shepherd. And, and with the offerings, God had said, you have to bring a, a blood offering. And that offering had to be brought, and it had to come from the flock. Well, Cain did not want to bring the, a, an animal. He wanted to be, bring the best that he could bring from his field. You know, we can bring the best that we want to bring, but God doesn't have to accept it. It was an offering. but it wasn't accepted. Why? Because it was the wrong one. The only difference between Cain and Abel was one decided, you know what? God said to bring the, the uh, offering and had to come from the first, first thing of the flock. And, and he chose that animal uh, to bring that offering, that blood offering. And Cain chose to bring a different offering, something that he thought was good enough. God doesn't have to take good enough. God's God. What was the difference? Their view. A God-centered offering. A man-centered, a me-centered offering. It was what God said he wanted, or it's what I, I said that I would offer, or that I would be willing to give. And, and with that, it just happens over and over through uh, in our lives, and we do the, the same thing. Uh, and with that, uh, we need to understand that in our faith, uh, God should be the center of our faith. God should be the center of our faith. Now, the term faith, uh, it's the word pistis in the Greek. Uh, and over 280 times, this word is used throughout Scripture. And it literally means trust. It means confidence uh, to put your trust in. And with, with our faith, we should be trusting God. God is right. God is right. He is the, the marker of what is right. 
He is the one that has the ability to convey truth. What is right? What is true? And so as the believer, God should be the focus of our faith, to trust, to be confident. We need to have confidence in who God is, and as I have trust and confidence in who God is, then I am going to live according to what God said, because I trust Him. I trust that what He says works. And as a believer, let me tell you, when you live according to God's principles and God's truth, what you will find is you win. It works. It works. God's ways work, uh, and we've just got to trust. But that faith, uh, that trust to be confident, to have faith, to put one's trust in some uh, thing or someone, and so that confidence, that belief system should have God in the very center focal point. Arthur Pink said this. He said, an unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. Think about that. An unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worship. Without understanding God's attributes, we have a skewed perception of Him. Well, often one cast in our own image. We need more than just a theoretical knowledge of God in order to worship Him as He desires. And so for the believer, for our faith to be God-centered, then I've got to know God. I've got to know about Him. I've got to know who He is and uh, the truths about Him. I'm just going to run through some things for time's sake, uh, but some of the attributes, just a few of these attributes of God. God is an an infinite God. He is self-existent without origin, uh, Colossians. Colossians 117, God is immutable. He never changes. Uh, Malachi 3.6, God is self-sufficient. He has no needs. God does not need me. God wants me to draw nigh to him and he will draw nigh to us. What a blessing to be a child of God, that he wants us to be in his presence, but he doesn't need me. God is sufficient all in himself. Uh, God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. Psalm 33, 6, God is omniscient, all knowing. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9, uh, God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. God is everywhere. An amazing God. Psalm 130. 7 through 10. God is wise. He is perfect. He, is uncha- he has unchanging wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three. 33. God is faithful. He's faithful. Uh, he is infinitely and unchangingly true. Deuteronomy 7, 9. God is good. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Psalm 34, 8, God is just, Uh, God is merciful, God is gracious, God is loving, God is holy, Uh, God is glorious. Uh, And as we learn about God, what happens is, as we grow in our faith and our knowledge of who God is, now that gives me a way to view this world. It gives me a pair of glasses to put on that has a tint that that helps me clearly see between right and wrong. Why? Because I learn who God is. And as we learn about God, then our faith is not as gray. You know, in the Christian life, 
We shouldn't want to live in this gray area in between the right and the wrong. We should just have a desire to draw nigh to God. And when I draw nigh to God, I, I get to see clearly. The Bible tells us in Corinthians, he said, Now I see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. There's coming a day when the humanity is going to be gone. Amen. The sin nature is going to be gone. When the, the veil of sin will, will no longer uh, cause us to have uh, this lack of faith, we will just trust. God said it. And we're going to see clearly. You go shooting. I, I enjoy going shooting. When you go shooting, you put safety glasses on, but my hunting or my my shooting glasses, I like the yellow tinted shooting glasses. It helps bring everything lighter. It helps me see my 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 vision. Uh, it just brings everything a little bit brighter. And you know what? As a Christian, we need to have some God filtered glasses. And the more we know God, the more we will see God in our daily life. The more we will see, what would God want me to do? How would he want me to act as a husband? How would he want me to act as a dad? How would he want me to act as a papa? How would he want me to act as a friend? How would he want me to act as a pastor? All of these things, every relationship in life, uh, when we get to know God and God is the focus of our faith, then what happens is it impacts more than just us coming to church on Sunday. And I'm glad your faith brought you to church this morning. But this is just a part of it. Just a part of it. You know, one day when our life is over, when we see the Lord, we won't regret having the right lens down here. People look at us, you go to church Sunday morning, every Sunday? Monday nights, Wednesday nights? Man, this is weird. Now, if they were going to a football game, it wouldn't be a problem at all. But the, the view is different. I have never been to a professional football game. They're on Sundays. Now, there might be a game that is on a Thursday that I could go, or Monday night. Uh, I don't know, but uh, I've personally not gone. Uh, and the, the games that I had opportunities, they were always on a Sunday. And I'm not, I'm not going. You know why? Because, well, it's just one Sunday. No, it's because my focus is a little bit different. My focus is on God. And that's just as a Christian, as we learn about his person, his attributes, his plan, his purposes, his preferences, these should form a filter in the glasses of our worldview. 
We should see life through the filter of what we know about God. We should see life through the filter of what we know about God. That's why it's so important to be faithful to church. I learned so much as a lay person sitting in the pew about who God was. I was reproved often. <laughs> I was rebuked. I was exhorted with all long suffering and doctrine. The truths of God's word were taught uh, and it impacted my life. It wasn't the preacher, it wasn't the people, but God used the people and God used the preacher. Uh, and in being at church, I was edified, I was enlightened, I was encouraged, uh, I grew. My worldview uh, was and is being formed by my knowledge of who God is. Now, We've, this year we will finish 30 years of full-time ministry. You know what? When I first started out, I looked at some of the older preachers and I thought, man, they must know everything. Now I'm there getting older. I'm not old. Brother Ledwick's old. He's 169. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, with, with that... Uh, I still, the more that I know about God, the more I know I don't know. Why? Because God is infinite. There's still more to learn. Those of you that have been saved for a while, uh, realize there's a whole lot about God you don't know yet. And that's That's exciting. You get into the Word of God and He reveals Himself. And what does it do? It helps us as we interact in this world, as we raise our families, as we serve the Savior, as we try to fulfill the purpose of our existence and living down here on this life. Uh, it helps us uh, to grow. Uh, and so with that, we need to have a God-centered faith, not a me-centered faith. Now, many people go to church and then they will quit a church because the pastor said something that offended them. Well, you're not going to be here very long before I offend you. I've probably already done it a couple times this morning. But the reality is, if my focus is on God, I want to grow. I want my faith, my knowledge of God to challenge my life. If it doesn't impact my life, how is it helping me? Knowledge coming in that just gets stored up in a hard drive called our mind that is never executed in life doesn't help anybody. A God-centered faith or a man-centered faith? A God-centered faith or a me-centered faith? And as I look towards the Lord, I find that there's a whole lot about me that goes through my mind. And it has to be challenged by what God would want me to view, to think, to act. A God-centered faith. So, this morning... 
as we think about our, our walk with the Lord. How much of it is it about God and how much of it is about us? Well, pastor, I want to serve in this area because I like it. Hey, praise the Lord. I want you to enjoy the areas you serve in. But the reality is, is it where God wants you to serve? Are you there to help God or are you there just because you like it? Is it there because it's going to fulfill and further the kingdom of God or is it there just because that's something I like to do? There's a difference. God-centered or me-centered? I don't want to be a me-centered Christian. I don't want to have a me-centered faith. I want my faith to be God-centered. And I want our people, all of us, to be more God-centered. All of us. There's, a, there's reset buttons that have to be hit. And we've got to stop and say, oh, okay, I was getting, I sort of do my own thing over here. I stopped even thinking about what God wanted. We need, we need to push that reset button and we need to have a God-centered faith. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Thank you for the truths of your word and the power that's here and help all of us, Lord, to grow in our faith. Help us to know you better and may our knowledge of you impact how we view this world, how we view our life, how we view ourselves. And so help us, please. Lord, if there's one here that does not know you, may today be the day that they trust you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You're here this morning. Do you know Christ is your personal Savior? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you died, that heaven would be your home?